Hey everybody, welcome back to another edition of the Intelligame Podcast, our long-form show that dives a little deeper into games as well as the world around us. I'm Josh Boykin, the founder of Intelligame.us, and of course, as always, I'm really happy to be here, and I'm really happy that you decided to spend some time with us. I've spent a lot of time over the past couple of months attending various games events. I spent a good three different weekends in New York for practice, Game Devs of Color Expo, and Games for Change. And most recently, I was in St. Louis, Missouri for Pixel Pop, a festival that's been held for five years now, and one that is a pretty interesting part of my own history. It was the first convention that I applied to all on my own as a member of the press to see if I could get in on a press pass. And it was also the first conference a year later that I spoke at professionally as a member of the industry. On Intelligame Radio, the smaller short-form podcast that we run on Mondays and Wednesdays, I've talked about how this summer I decided to attend smaller events than usual. I skipped out on E3 in LA and instead went to spaces that I thought were a little more targeted. And what I found is that each of these spaces seemed to represent something different. It wasn't just a matter of creating this giant flashy space for games to show up in. Each of these shows had a specific reason for being, a specific idea they meant to represent. And I'm finding that particularly in these smaller communities, having that targeted representation is key. Both Game Devs of Color Expo and Pixel Pop in particular, as shows that were meant to be a little bit more public-facing, managed to create experiences that were unique to the folks who were attending those shows. Game Devs of Color Expo provided a resource for people to find out about all sorts of different developers of color, and Pixel Pop gives a staple point for developers in the Midwest to be able to show off their games and their work, and also now increasingly network with other developers from around the country. When I talked to attendees at both of these shows, they spoke about the ways that attending those particular conferences felt different than being at other shows they'd been to in the past. Game Devs of Color Expo provided a safe, inclusive space for not just developers, but also just general attendees of color to feel welcome and important in the space. Pixel Pop cultivated this feeling of what's commonly known as Midwest nice. Everybody just generally felt positive, like they were receiving informative, uplifting feedback from both attendees and other developers. And this created a sense of camaraderie that was particularly noticed by developers who were originally from the coasts. Now, both of these shows are young when compared to industry staples like E3 or PAX. Both of these shows are relatively small when compared to industry staples like E3 or PAX, but they're growing, and I think it's in no small part due to the ways that they represent their individual communities. The ideals that they stand for come across in their programming, as well as just the general attitudes of the showrunners and attendees. And this idea of representation is something that I really want to dial in on this week. So, welcome to episode 007 of the Intelligame podcast, Represent. On this episode of the podcast, we're going to feature on-site interviews that were conducted at both Game Devs of Color Expo and Pixel Pop. Our director's cut for this episode is actually going to be run by Jenny Windham, 
where she dives into a little bit of how representation can be done incorrectly, as shown in Quantic Dream's newest release, Detroit Become Human. Finally, we'll wrap up with our game recommendation, which is a fantastic representation of how to play with your food. As always, folks, if you have questions, comments, or feedback, you can shoot that over to podcast at IntelliGame.us, and you can also find us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at IntelliGameUs. Love to hear your feedback. Let's go ahead and get started. A couple of weeks ago, we ran a series of interviews that we conducted from Game Devs of Color Expo 2018. Ranging from more serious fare like Tanya Khan's Solace State to pretty casual, fun games like Here's How It Happened by Team Murder Squad, there was a lot of different experiences at Game Devs of Color Expo 2018. This particular interview is actually going to flash back to GDoc 2017, where I interviewed Ethan Red, a developer currently working on a game called Blazing Legion Ignition. I managed to track him down after he'd given a talk up on the main stage. And this discussion dives into both what he tries to represent personally as a creator, as well as some of the different ways that Game Devs of Color Expo represents its portion of the industry. All right, everybody, still at GDOC and was able to track down Ethan Red, who gave this really awesome talk earlier um, on just sort of a a combination of background and experience, but also just the ability to, to have resilience in the industry, which was really awesome. Uh, thanks for thanks for talking with me for a bit. Oh, thanks for having me. For folks who weren't able to, or maybe have not seen the video on demand or weren't watching the stream, what did you talk about? Uh, so basically, I was gonna talk about low poly initially and just like getting into the art scene, but I was told it might be more interesting if I talk about myself. <laughs> So I basically gave sort of a hybrid of my life story and the lessons that it taught me, and I tried to put it in a format where people could make it work for themselves. Because um, I feel like it's uninteresting just to talk about yourself. You know, <laughs> I don't want to be up there ten minutes talking about like why Ethan Red is so great. You know, in fairness though, I mean to give respect to the subject, right? Like your background, particularly working as a developer, is not like very many others. I mean, you talked about living out of a car. You talked about like using your sister's computer late at night when she was at work, so that you, or when she was working on her grad work because that was the amount of struggle that you were able or willing to put in to create your game. Yeah, I just feel like um, for me, it's this is like what I've always wanted to do. So it's just, I'm willing to take it there, you know? <laughs> like, I feel like people should just ask themselves like how far they're willing to go. And then once you have that answer, no matter how far or not it is, just gotta live honestly with yourself. So, I mean, you do work beyond just game creation now, right? You said, where all are you, does your work expand to? Okay, so um, recently I actually animated a music video for Dero. Oh, for, wow. um, Yeah, for his latest song, uh, Surrounded. Okay. I did pretty much all the visual work on that, so that was fun. Other than that, I'm starting my company, Virtuoso, which is basically about just promoting optimism and like colored life and vibrancy through the art that we make and like there's sort of a, a retro inspiration to it like we love the aesthetics of like the 90s and the late 80s but like we're trying to make like neo media you know it's like taking that attitude of like the world is good and the future is bright and expressing that today and that runs in a pretty stark contrast to a lot of games that we play now with you know very dark color schemes and gritty and the world is ending and I mean 
I kind of maybe felt that way in November, but like, <laughs> uh, but I, I appreciate that you're taking this this tone of optimism. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the, that's what we need. You know, the world isn't ending. We just have work to do. You know, and I feel like everybody wants to feel sorry for themselves. Like this kind of the tone in media nowadays is like irony and cynicism and just like mass like just shitty attitudes. <laughs> so I feel like it, you can't work from that. And I want. I want to inspire people the way I've been inspired in life, and I want to give that back to the world. So you can't do that by just, like, constantly being Donnie Downer, you know? So let's look at uh, what is a game that you've been looking at lately that you feel like channels some of those ideas, or a game that inspires you? Oh, man, like, I don't play a lot of recent games, but this will sound, like, really counterintuitive, but I really feel like Doom gets this. <laughs> Doom is the most colorful game I've seen in a while, like probably years. Doom is like, down to its core, it's just so visceral. Like, every single millisecond you're playing that game, it's taxing, like, your entire, like, engagement with it, you know? And I feel like, uh, Doom, it's just so, just alive, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's a game that's kind of about death, but it embraces that entirely and builds a whole mood around it, and ultimately it's about the fight reflex is that the flight reflex in a, in fear in a, like dealing with fear and i think that's like strangely empowering we're here at game devs of color expo in particular and i know i've seen you at other trade shows before um or i should say other industry shows what do you feel like sets this one apart well i think the focus on diversity of all sorts like i'm seeing people of color i'm seeing women i'm seeing like queer people there's every sort of just like diversity and different walks of life is just embraced here and like down to the core like all the talks are being stenographed is that the word uh, 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 real time yeah i mean that that dude is like <laughs> the unsung hero here because right. like he's getting it like real time and then like you have so many games made by people of color and queer folk and you know everybody it, it's just like baked right in and it's such like an inclusive atmosphere and that's so refreshing because like especially like going to indicate and gdc they're doing better but it's really not a focus there, and you do end up feeling like a token sometimes. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I've I've been to. I just came from E3 last week, and it's just that idea that you know, until uh, basically until they started selling expo passes, real frequently I wouldn't see very many people of color at all. Right. Um, so having a space that is specifically to and like sitting down at practically any demo table and seeing people of color there, seeing panels where like the entire panel is people of color exactly. and they're like majority the female yeah. yeah and like i think especially the low cost of entry here is a big factor because you know just like systematic whatever like it's harder to shell out like a couple k for just a few days of a conference like here you can get in for 20 bucks um, my girlfriend got in for five dollars because she's a student like that's so accessible and like you get neighborhood people coming in and like seeing what the industry has to offer and then also seeing like themselves reflected in the industry it's super empowering yeah yeah I mean, I think the, the really nice thing about events like this is that it gives people the opportunity to, to make those inroads into the industry, or at least even just to get inspired to feel like they can create. Exactly. Yeah, and like you got it. like I didn't have any heroes that looked like me in the industry, like growing up. All of my heroes were like old Japanese dudes, and like, yeah. that's fine, like they're all great dudes, but like, it's cool seeing so many black and brown folk doing rad shit and just tearing it up, you know? Sure.
What's next for you? What are you, what are you working on? Where are you going? Well, right now, I'm trying to hunker back down on Blazing Legion Ignition, sort of like the main title that me and my new studio are, uh, <laughs> are focused on right now. Talk a bit about it. It's, so it's like, I don't want to give away too much because I'm holding this one close to the chest, but it's about four-story mechs and morality. And it's hopefully the start of a series. It's really invested in its own story and lore, and I'm trying to make like a really high-octane experience that also has a little bit of like emotional backing and thought behind it like it's an alt game that you don't know is an alt game wow. like you can have fun with it but then also you're feeling things sure. and then like the next thing in the pipe or like sort of concurrent with that is kombacha which is a game about growing evil scoby monsters in kombucha and world domination <laughs> and like capitalism so <laughs> this one's aimed for the normies but you can't tell <laughs> Yeah. All right. For folks who are looking for your work or looking for you online, where do they go? Best place to get at me is Twitter, uh, just Ethan Red. I'm also on Instagram at Kid Rad, and uh, if you like Tumblr, Ethan Red there. And also uh, follow my new studio, Virtuoso Comms, on Twitter, and just uh, Virtuoso Official on Instagram. Sick. Yeah. Well, congrats on again an awesome talk. Keep up the awesome work, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Blazing Legion is still in active development alongside a game called Killer Auto and a couple other announced projects and collaborations. You can learn more by checking out Ethan's personal Twitter profile over at EthanRedd, R-E-D-D, or you can subscribe to the mailing list for updates at virtuoso.world. You can also learn more about Game Devs of Color Expo by going to their website, gamedevsofcolorexpo.com, and you can check out recordings of all of the talks that were given at Game Devs of Color Expo by searching for Game Devs of Color Expo on YouTube. Our second interview puts us a little closer to the present. We're going to Pixel Pop of 2018 just a couple of weeks ago. I've been attending Pixel Pop since it was a small local convention hosted at Webster University, and I was really fascinated to see a number of developers show up from abroad for Pixel Pop this year. I stopped and talked to a couple of developers based out of Seattle to learn about their experience at Pixel Pop and also to talk to them about their project and the way that it approaches representation. I just played a bit of Burn Ban, a mobile game that is a visual novel centered around some characters attending a summer camp to address issues of mental health. And I've really enjoyed it so far. I'm standing with a couple of the creators. If you could introduce yourselves and tell me a little bit about the game. Sure. Uh, I'm Harrison Barton. I uh, was the writer and uh, programmer on Burn Band. I'm Morgan Rowe, and I was the artist and editor slash writer assistant. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about Burn Band. So Burn Band is a queer visual novel about teens coming to terms with mental health issues in a summer camp. The main character, Twig, has this falling out at her school and is uh, faced with the choice of either being sent to this camp or uh, being suspended. So she goes to camp and kind of... Her dead friend's social media account starts posting again. And so she has to kind of figure out what's up with that. Yeah. And so it's part mystery, part like friendship sim, and, uh, and then with themes of mental health in there. So tell me a little bit about the, the creation process. And I, I have really felt kind of struck by the visual aesthetic. So if you could tell me a little bit about the art style and how that ties into the narrative. Yeah, so we kind of went with the visual novel because it, it, it's what we were capable of with just a small team. We'd worked together previously, and we kind of decided this time we wanted to do a 2D game. Characters are kind of just drawn in the style that I'm comfortable with, and I was like, uh, I've, I've had a little bit of 
some animation background. And I was like, I want these characters to be easy to draw so I can draw them multiple times and then they're consistent. You can have kids shows or aesthetics that maybe look more simple and plain that are still very emotionally hard-hitting in stories. Like there are a lot of the Disney stories and Steven Universe, they deal with some very serious issues. So like, that's kind of the, some of the stuff behind the, the, the background, but mostly it was just, you know, the, the style that we could do and that I was comfortable with. Well, like, you have, like, uh, people like Scott McCloud about uh, creating comics, his theory of, like, simpler aesthetics are more easily relatable to, to everyone and, like, marginalized people. Well, and that seems to be a really big core, obviously a core tenet of Burn Ban is providing this representation for marginalized people. Can you tell me a little bit about sort of what inspired the story or some of the influences there? Yeah, so uh, in terms of the, the themes, uh, there's definitely a lot of like personal resonance in there for like the narrative uh, in terms of like mental health and like queerness and, and that sort of thing. Uh, so part of that is, uh, I wouldn't say like projection, but uh, kind of coming to terms with personal stuff as well. Uh, in terms of like the setting of the summer camp, there's kind of a few uh, games that we played early on that sort of uh, inspired some of those decisions about the style and the aesthetic. Night in the Woods and We Know the Devil are two games that like really kind of like inspired uh, that setting of these teens slash early 20 year olds uh, figuring out how they want to go forward as adults and in the setting of like a summer camp. Yeah, we first started brainstorming the idea for Burn Band like a year and some months ago, and it was kind of around the same time that 13 Reasons Why came out on Netflix. And I watched that series, and I, it was really upsetting to me how they handled mental illness and how they handled pretty much the whole story. So I wanted to be able to tell you know, our story where how you can get help in a more healthy manner and that it's okay to depend on your friends and that not all of the counselors who are out there, you know, want to get you for something. Um, and that there are counselors out there who are supportive and, you know, good. And so this is kind of just like, that was definitely one of the inspirations. This is our, it's kind of our answer to 13 Reasons Why in a, a way. You're developers based out of Seattle and you're doing a show here in St. Louis. I'd love to hear a little bit about how Pixel Pop has been for you and your experience being here in the Midwest. Well, it's, it's been interesting so far. I've never been to St. Louis before, so this is my first time. Uh, we met Mary and Carol, who organized Pixel Pop, at Train Jam at GEC. And so that's kind of where we learned about Pixel Pop. And we're like, well, we're, you know, we've got a game that's coming out. We should show it, we should show it there. Because they were also talking about how St. Louis is kind of small on the, the game design side. And so part of what they're doing here is to try and bring in more game designers and like not have to go so far. Uh, to get people hyped about games and we're like you know that that seems like something that we can get behind like we appreciate that so we're like we're willing to go out there and you know help them out to you know have our presence and plus it's just kind of nice to be able to show off our game and get other people interested in it as well we went to the city museum last night but we haven't done a bunch of touristy things because we've been busy here <laughs> I, I would say also that Pixel Pop has a uh, focus on diversity and kind of raising up marginalized creators. And uh, I've noticed, uh, like, I I've been to uh, conventions sort of in the past, like GDC and like PAX, but I've noticed right away, it's almost, it's, it's, all, it's like right away, you could just like look 
around and in terms of diversity of uh, exhibitors as well as attendees it's like it's it's a lot better and that's something that definitely uh, drew me to Pixel Pop as well as just uh, being able to have an opportunity to show off the game and, and meet some really great people. What do you see in terms of the future for Burn Band? If I recall correctly, you just recently released. Yeah, uh, so Burn Band just recently, uh, about three weeks ago, came out. It's available on the Google Play Store, so for Android. Um, and we are planning to have a PC, Mac, and Linux port available at the end of September. We're going to be showing Burn Band at more cons. Uh, we're also, the, I mean, like Harrison said, the, the PC port and bringing it to other platforms. We've also bounced the idea around of maybe doing a comic for some backstory and maybe adding more content for like a director's cut or like developer's release of the build with a PC version. So we've got a little bit more planned. Cool. So I mean, thank you for your time. I think the game looks really compelling. If other folks are interested in finding out more about you or about the games, where can they go online to find it? Sure. Uh, well, we have a Twitter at Pride Interactive, uh, which, just without the E, so uh, interactive, but just minus the E. Uh, and you can follow us there for just updates on Burn Man, uh, future projects, potential release on uh, other platforms. Yeah, we also have a Tumblr, which is prideinteractive.tumblr.com, and that's the full name with the E. And if they're looking, if folks are looking for you individually on social media, can they find you too? You can find my art station, but that's more of my 3D stuff. Otherwise, my Twitter is at Spookinator, so S-P-O-O-K-E-N-A-T-O-R. I'm on Twitter at SpyroSmithy, that's uh, like Spire the Dragon, S-P-Y-R-O-S-M-I-T-H-Y, and I'm fairly regular on there. Don't expect professional posts. <laughs> I'm your personal one. <laughs> All right, well, thank you so much for your time, and thanks for uh, letting me play the game. Thank you. For sure. Thank you for interviewing us. Burn Band is currently available on the Google Play Store, and if you're looking at getting some hands-on time while you're attending PAX West in Seattle, you can head over to the Seattle Indies Expo on September 2nd, where Pride Interactive is going to be showing the game as well. I conducted a number of interviews at the show that you'll be able to listen to over the course of next week on Intelligame Radio. But I wanted to wrap up this particular segment with a discussion that I had with Mary McKenzie and Gene Kelly of Volcano Bean Studio. I've known the two of them since Pixel Pop started five years ago, and this is a really awesome opportunity to get a little bit of retrospective sense on how far Pixel Pop has come. This is particularly because Mary is now a co-runner of Pixel Pop Festival alongside Carol Mertz, a former guest on the Intelligame podcast. It's great to be able to talk about not just her upcoming cupcake-themed RPG, but also to get a sense of the importance of establishing this point of representation and opportunity for developers in the Midwest. Well, we're getting near the end of the show, and I just spent some time with a game that I've been really excited about for a long time. Battle Cakes is a turn-based single-player RPG, and it is created by a couple of folks based right here out of St. Louis. If you folks could introduce yourselves and talk a little bit about the game. Yeah, hi, I'm Mary McKenzie. I run uh, Volcano Bean, and I'm also one of the co-organizers for Pixel Pop Festival. And I'm uh, Gene Kelly. I'm one of the developers and also the art helper <laughs> on Battle Cakes. So tell us a little bit about Battle Cakes. Um, yeah, so it's a 
Sorry, it's been a long weekend. It's a single player <laughs> offline RPG where it's got retro mechanics with adorable art. We like to refer to it as a snack size RPG. Uh, we're probably looking at like 10 to 15 hours of gameplay. Um, you are literally a cupcake in an RPG world full of magic and adventure. There's also a battle or befriend mechanic, so you can choose to fight your way through combat, or if you want to, you can make friends along the way instead. What made you decide to take on an RPG like this? I mean, there are other titles that have brought in a sort of battle or befriend mechanic, but to have this very bright, very happy, also very cupcakey, pun-laden game, what, what brought this together? Um, it actually started as a webcomic about five years ago. Matt Sr., our um, artist and main um, lead designer on the game, he created this little eight-page comic called Battle Cakes, and it was the, the very beginning seed of the story that he eventually wanted to turn into a graphic novel, um, but life got in the way, and so it kind of didn't become a project. And when we were looking for our first full, what we wanted to do for our first full-size project, as much as it's very um, cliche to make an RPG <laughs> as your first full-size game, um, we really believed in the world and the beautiful characters and story that Matt had in his brain and so as much and we all love RPGs but really it was what fit the world what fit fit Matt's entire aesthetic was really why we chose it and really it was just the kind of game we wanted to make um, like we're all parents and kind of got into gaming partially to make games for our kids and we've always loved games and so like the world just made a lot of sense in terms of like the kind of inviting inclusive friendliness we kind of wanted to put out into the gaming world so tell me a little bit, if uh, folks are looking for a better idea of what the storyline is in Battle Cakes, give them a little bit of a rundown. Sure. So uh, the lead character, which can be um, customized and renamed by the player, um, but by default is uh, Birthday Sprinkle. He's the town guard for a sleepy little town called Vanilla Hill, where almost nothing ever goes wrong. And he's a very lazy but happy existence until trouble starts to brew its ugly head. Uh, some creatures make their way into town that are not normally in town. So you team up with your best friend, Red Velvet, who is a more experienced, more competent town guard, kind of your mentor. Uh, so the two of you team up to find out what's going on, like who's causing trouble in town. From there, you meet up with the, the third member of your party, Midnight Truffle, who is a sugar mancer, the magic user of the group. Uh, and things quickly spiral in epic RPG fashion from there. You're going to go from town to town. I think there's like six in total. We'll have dungeons and bosses for each. So it's a big RPG-style, kind of classic but very tongue-in-cheek uh, adventure. Tell me a little bit about the the writing in the game. You said that you brought on a writer who's done some some other credits before, but I imagine you're also involved yourself. Um, yeah, the the writing definitely. It started with Matt's voice, um, and then the three of us, Matt, myself, and Jean, have a very similar tone and voice when we write, and so that's been really nice to kind of collaborate on that. And then we brought in Kevin Snow, who is currently working on a game called Southern Monsters. So their main main vibe is definitely more horror, um, not as cute cute as battle kegs but they have a very similar um humor and yes cleverness to their writing that just vibes really well with our writing so yeah it's been really nice and exciting to bring on a new voice and help us flesh out the world and they're good people so we always that, that's yeah. the first thing like you know we also brought in another programmer ben cook of well-bred rhino and uh it all starts with like clicking as people and then like being able to work on the project together from there so we're at Pixel Pop, which I imagine, Mary, you are at least a little interested. You are also one of the, the main organizers for Pixel Pop. And this is my second year as one of the organizers. Um, the 
Pixel Pop is five years old. We attended this, I think the first one we attended was the second one with our second game, Sleepy Kraken. It's a very early alpha, very alpha build. And then we enjoyed the experience so much. It was a huge, huge catalyst for us in continuing to make games. We might have stalled out and just never gone forward if we hadn't had what that like wonderful experience. So I believe after yeah the third Pixel Pop, I offered to like come on the organizational team because I wanted to help grow and like spread game development across the Midwest and like let people who don't always make it to the coast to see the bigger shows like have an experience the same kind of experience that they could have. Tell me a little bit about what it's like being here in St. Louis as a game developer, as a community organizer, and working in the game space. Um, I think we're really fortunate that there is a fairly large game development community in St. Louis, um, and it ranges anywhere from hobbyists to professional studios. So we've been really lucky in that, but I think like any creative endeavor kind of in the middle of the country, it can be, it's not as plentiful as when you go to the coast, so that's always a little bit of a struggle is to people don't quite understand what you're doing or what what your job is but it's more sustainable to live here there's really there's a lot of really wonderful things about being in the midwest and we're just really lucky st louis has such a like vibrant games community that can help support the stuff that we're doing i agree <laughs> <laughs> what have been some of your favorite pixel pop moments um i think my favorite moments are watching someone demo their first game and like see the excite, like see the excitement of them getting to watch people play their game and get live feedback and be able to make choices based off watching actual like instead of I think sometimes when you're making games and you're by yourself and you you're making guesses at what you think people want and so being able to help create the experience for people to grow their game and grow what they're doing is really rewarding for me as well as like just giving them connections to, to talk to other developers and like so when they might go to other regional shows like they might know other people and so to kind of spread game dev and not make it such like an isolating experience that it can be at times is my favorite parts and on, um, and on the developer side a being able to meet all the other game devs is super encouraging you can talk about like mutual struggles and encourage each other and pick up tips and tricks and just meet more cool people and of course just the act of demoing it's such an emotional boost, like when you're in the middle of like the game development cycle and you're not entirely sure how long your game's going to take, you know, and you get to see like people who are not your team come to it with fresh eyes and, and they're genuinely excited and they're into it. And you're like, yes, people get it. You know, you got that little boost. This is worthwhile and we should keep going. And it helps a lot. It's tremendous. So, I mean, thank you so much for the time. It's been awesome talking with you. For folks who are looking for more information about Battle Cakes, where would they find that? Or about Volcano Bean? Just volcanobean.com is the best place to links out to our Battle Cakes demo. We have an itch.io page that we have our public demo up on. So you can, as we update the game, we update the demo. So you can kind of always keep tabs on where we are game-wise. But yeah, volcanobean.com. And you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all that jazz. And for folks who are looking for more information about Pixel Pop or for either of you, where would they find it? Yeah, um, I am Mary McKelly on Twitter, but you can also, and Pixel Pop is pixelpopfestival.com or Pixel Pop Fest on Twitter. Just look, um, volcanobean.com is the best way to get a hold of me, too. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you so much for your time. Congrats on an awesome show. Thank you so much. Oh. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Even though I've personally moved to the West Coast, I still very much believe that the Midwest can be a center for games and game developers to grow. Events like Pixel Pop help to foster that community, and I'm looking forward to seeing all of the exciting things that come as a result. There are plenty of benefits that come from representing people well. There are also drawbacks when you represent people poorly. 
our director's cut takes an article that was published on IntelliGame and gives it a little bit of additional context. This week's director's cut is read by Jenny Wyndham, the author of The Choice Quantic Dream Did Not Pick in Detroit Become Human. When I played Detroit Become Human, I played it blind, in the sense of the game's narrative as well as to some controversies around the actions of its creators. Playing this game was an interesting experience because it was enough in many ways. Engaging enough that I've played through it twice to see how much choice truly made an impact. Visually pretty enough, I couldn't stop staring at the lovely rain effects in that motion capture. Acted well enough, particularly by Brian DeChart and Valerie Curry, that I cared about what happened to the characters. I even finished it in just two sessions, logging about 14 hours in my very first playthrough in one weekend. But even without the knowledge of the studio's history to color my opinions, a nagging dissatisfaction stuck with me. This concept of enough in a game is interesting, particularly when combined with the reflection that I and I think a lot of other people are currently doing about time spent while gaming. Josh, for example, has a great piece you should check out on IntelliGame regarding attention and time. You know, asking the questions, why are we playing this game? What do we hope to get out of it? And to that respect, I really genuinely hoped that Detroit was going to give me something to really chew on. And while I did get a lot of critical thinking out of this game and interesting discussion, it wasn't necessarily due to the content that the game provided me, which was frustrating. Despite claims from studio director David Cage that the game is trying to universally represent the struggle of oppressed people, Detroit draws from and points to experiences from the 1960s U.S. civil rights movement. This in and of itself is not bad. Games are products of our experiences. Drawing from history to ground a narrative and allowing audiences to explore their thoughts on an issue can be effective. But Detroit Become Human turns into the game equivalent of grabbing a burger of fries at a drive-thru by using cheap tropes and surface-level narrative and politics. It's enough in some ways, but misses the chance to provide true substance and depth to a story that it seems to want to tell. I was honestly really curious about this title, because why did they choose these three particular stories? If you're not familiar with Detroit, um, the story follows three androids. Kara, who escapes an abusive owner and takes his young daughter Alice with her, Connor, who is programmed to work with the police to find deviant or sentient androids and shut them down, and Marcus, who's played by Jesse Williams, who's an android who begins as a caretaker of an old artist but then gains sentience, he becomes deviant and becomes the leader of this deviant movement. And as you play the game, you switch between these characters uh, and get to grapple with dialogue choices and quick time events and introduces topics such as nature of humanity, human rights, and, and resistance. Since this game is set in Detroit, which is a historic city, I was very curious as to what parts did these characters represent or illustrate. An initial concern I had was one of scope, because the huge range of choices, the amount of storytelling, even for one of these characters, had to have been substantial. And when I put in the disc to start playing it, I was thinking, surely the developers would have had their hands full in background research, interviews, getting all the help that they could from as many people as possible to really get this context and dialogue down, particularly since they chose to tackle three different stories. In Kara's first chapters, for example, the player not only witnesses an abusive home environment, but must quickly select actions to take when Alice is attacked by her father. Forcing the player to choose actions in the heat of the moment can quickly facilitate the development of emotional investment, 
but in reducing Kara and Alice's escape from Todd into quick and simple dialogue options, the complexity of real people removing themselves from abusive environments is lost in the heat of the moment. Even when creating a story with the best of intentions, or perhaps even more so, it's important to recognize blind spots, areas of weakness, lack of expertise. This is why representation at all levels of the game creation experience, not just in the game itself, matters. When asked about his work, Cage states, You want to talk about homophobia? We work with Ellen Page, who fights for LGBT rights. You want to talk about racism? We work with Jesse Williams, who fights for civil rights in the United States. Judge my work. Citing your cast and the labor that they've done is not good enough. Nowhere does Cage detail additional resources, groups, or leaders utilized to inform his narrative choices. If Quantic Dream had drawn from a wider pool of experts, interviewing domestic abuse survivors or talking with participants of social movements, for example, they could have ground the context of their story in the complexities of live experience. They could have encouraged players to address in-game situations with deeper consideration and nuance. Instead, Quantic went for low-hanging fruit, with scenes highlighting how androids must stand at the back of the bus. That statement by Cage frustrated me to no end. Citing one actor or actress per game as your primary source for context shows a lack of follow-through and thoughtfulness. When creating a game with resistance as a theme, why not go to the source? We live in a time where nearly every major country has or is going through social change, and how could he not utilize them to inform his work and not cite the sources that he worked with? Marcus' story underscores this lack throughout the game. It stood out as one with potential. His face is on the North American cover for the game, after all. Yet, his story falls flat due to inconsistent characterization, a cut-and-dry, chosen-one story, and cheesy one-liners about freedom. You choose a more violent or pacifist route while playing Marcus. Malcolm X or MLK? Both options skim over the reasoning of why one would take one route over the other. Selecting the peaceful revolutionary route, in particular, oversimplifies the complexities of change. Peaceful actions in-game have immediate success in changing the sentiment of the general population. Marcus does not struggle in his role, and, as long as you press the right buttons, can potentially lead the androids to freedom without barely a scratch or additional turmoil. In contrast, I connected more strongly with Kara and Connor's storylines. Kara's, in particular, included more mundane yet relatable moments that brought context and a more grounded feel to her scenes. Connor's story was by far the strongest of the three due to the fact that his struggle in the game was one of an android deciding whether or not to follow his programming or elect to become deviant. He didn't have to lead a revolution, this was an internal struggle that, at multiple points, made me stop and think. Gamifying a revolution is a difficult endeavor. Why not ask for the voices of those in social movements fighting for progress today, like Black Lives Matter, rather than sit on tropes and 101 level content? If they were consulted, why not cite them as an influence? Construct the foundations of a futuristic android revolution in the Motor City by basing them on the history and struggles of actual Detroit, struggles that marginalized people of the US and around the world still combat today. Game developers and studios have the opportunity to foster perspective sharing and empathy growth because games are experiential. Good games can provide nuanced glimpses into what life is like for others, like any other form of media. By hiring a diverse range of voices to write, and even a wider range of experiences to QA and provide feedback, studios can take their narratives to the next level. 
Otherwise, players may leave the title having experienced a caricature, insulting the very people it's trying to represent. Indie developers, generally with smaller teams and more freedom in their process, seem to be able to push these ideas forward best. And folks, this is why I love indie games. Take Solace State, a game where developer Tanya Khan interviewed political figures and revolutions in Hong Kong and the U.S. to inform her narrative. Or Revolution 1979 Black Friday, a title by Inc. Studios that immerses the player in the struggles of the Iranian Revolution by incorporating first-hand testimonies of witnesses and freedom fighters, as well as primary source documents. Finally, Never Alone was developed through the involvement and participation of elders and members from Inupiaq communities of Alaska, utilizing photos, video footage, interviews, and the Inupiaq language to contextualize the gameplay experience. It encourages better narratives as well as pushes larger studios into taking action. Even amidst moments of enjoying the game, Detroit Become Human left me wanting more. This title had so much potential. Potential to examine class and power structures through the anvil of androids of exploring social change and what it takes to get there. While the game was a feat visually and mechanically, it still felt hollow. It made me wonder, what if Quantic Dream had put in that work? Hired from a wide range of experiences to ensure that the narrative matched the impressive visuals and number of story branches. Perhaps Detroit Become Human could have shifted from a title of lost potential and troublesome tropes to an impactful gaming experience one that challenged its audience to move beyond pop culture understandings of oppression and resistance. Again, that was Intelligame contributor Jenny Windham. You can find her on Twitter at Kimchika25, and you can also see some of her great indie commentaries at youtube.com slash Kimchika. You can also catch her live streams at twitch.tv slash Kimchika. Representation comes in all sorts of different ways. In a lot of cases, we talk about it in terms of gender, of sexual orientation, of racial background, of religion. And it's important that when we're representing people, we do so in ways that are respectful of the people that we're trying to represent. But sometimes we're also just trying to represent, oh, I don't know, food. And it's important that when you're representing food, you represent it correctly as well. Of course, your definition of what might be correct in food representation could change after you've played Noor. Noor is a game that takes the term play with your food to an entirely different level. It's an experimental game that gives you a number of different scenes and a number of different types of food and just gives you the opportunity to play with it. Imagine a scene of 16 toasters set 4x4, and they periodically pop up pieces of toast. Or imagine a steaming bowl of broth that you can drop noodles and pieces of meat and all sorts of things in. A bubble tea that you can drop all sorts of different bubbles in. There's not a right or wrong way to interact with Noor. Instead, it's just a different way to experience something that we all feel very familiar with which is our food. TJ Hughes, a friend of mine who's a developer based out of St. Louis, really added his own individual flair and style to this game. Much like Ethan Red, he uses a lot of bright colors and happy textures. His work is about bringing energy and life to the things that he represents. And actually, it was really cool watching TJ and Ethan meet at Game Devs of Color Expo a couple of years ago as they're fans of each other's work. 
nor really blew up and got a lot of attention after it was shown on the GDC show floor. An article was published on Polygon about the game, and its Kickstarter successfully funded. So TJ's been working on building out new scenes and new ideas of food to put into the game ever since. Interestingly, it looks like he's even hijacked concepts that are used for breast physics in some more conventional games and used that to model the jiggling of a sunny side up egg. You can see a clip of that on his Twitter. But Nor is a great game, not just because it's created by a creator of color, not just because it represents food in an intriguing and new way, but because it represents not just TJ's style, but an energy, a positivity that we could stand to have more of in the world. It's pretty easy to dive into any assorted social media or news and get brought down. And there are a number of issues that we need to tackle head on, that we need to be paying attention to. But that doesn't mean that we can't also find some new ways to look at the things around us. Noor encourages you to get messy, to just randomly press buttons and see what happens, to experiment, to figure out what things work, what things don't. And, and though I don't think playing the game with a keyboard and mouse will be the same as when it was originally released with the MIDI Fighter, a pad of 16 arcade buttons with brightly colored LEDs and motion controls, I do think that the game is going to give people an opportunity to have a little bit of fun and maybe re-examine what they consider is possible in games. To learn more about Noor, head over to TJ's Twitter profile at underscore T-E-E-J-A-Y-5, or you can check out his website at terrifyingjellyfish.com. That does it for another edition of the IntelliGame Podcast. I've been your host, Josh Boykin. You can find me on Twitter or Facebook at Wallstormer. Keep an eye out for more IntelliGame content by swinging over to the homepage, IntelliGame.us. You can also find us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at IntelliGameUs. We stream on Twitch on Wednesdays starting at 6 p.m. over at twitch.tv slash IntelliGameUs. And of course, we also have our YouTube content that you can check out by going to youtube.com slash us. Thank you for checking out another episode of the podcast. If you have any feedback, shoot it over to podcast at intelligame.us. And please, if you like the content here, be sure to share it with a friend. And you can also support us financially by going to patreon.com slash us for just a few dollars a month. You can help keep this ship afloat. Thank you so much for being part of this community. We will see you in two weeks. I conducted a number of interviews at the show that you'll be able to listen to over the course of next week on IntelliGame Radio. But I wanted to wrap up this particular segment with a discussion that I had with Mary McKenzie and Gene Kelly of Volcano Bean Studio. I've known the two of them since Pixel Pop started five years ago, and this is a really awesome opportunity to get a little bit of retrospective sense on how far Pixel Pop has come. This is particularly because Mary is now a co-runner of Pixel Pop Festival alongside Carol Mertz, a former guest on the IntelliGame podcast. It's great to be able to talk about not just her upcoming cupcake-themed RPG, 
but also to get a sense of the importance of establishing this point of representation and opportunity for developers in the Midwest. Well, we're getting near the end of the show, and I just spent some time with a game that I've been really excited about for a long time. Battle Cakes is a turn-based single-player RPG, and it is created by a couple folks based right here out of St. Louis. If you folks could introduce yourselves and talk a little bit about the game. Yeah, hi, I'm Mary McKenzie. I run uh, Volcano Bean, and I'm also one of the co-organizers for Pixel Pop Festival. And I'm uh, Gene Kelly. I'm one of the developers and also the art helper <laughs> on Battle Cakes. So tell us a little bit about Battle Cakes. Um, yeah, so it's a, sorry, it's been a long weekend. It's a single player <laughs> offline RPG where it's got retro mechanics with adorable art. We like to refer to it as a snack size RPG. Uh, we're probably looking at like 10 to 15 hours of gameplay. Um, you are literally a cupcake in an RPG world full of magic and adventure. There's also a battle or befriend mechanic, so you can choose to fight your way through combat, or if you want to, you can make friends along the way instead. What made you decide to take on an RPG like this? I mean, there are other titles that have brought in this sort of battle or befriend mechanic, but to have this very bright, very happy, also very cupcakey, pun-laden game, what, what brought this together? Um, it actually started as a webcomic about five years ago. Matt Sr., our um, artist and main um, lead designer on the game, he created this little eight-page comic called Battle Cakes, and it was the, the, the very beginning seed of the story that he eventually wanted to turn into a graphic novel, um, but life got in the way, and so it kind of didn't become a project. And when we were looking for our first full, what we wanted to do for our first full-size project, as much as it's very um, cliche to make an RPG <laughs> as your first full-size game, um, we really believed in the world and the beautiful characters and story that Matt had in his brain and so as much and we all love RPGs but really it was what fit the world what fit fit Matt's entire aesthetic was really why we chose it and really it was just the kind of game we wanted to make um, like we're all parents and kind of got into gaming partially to make games for our kids and we've always loved games and so like the world just made a lot of sense in terms of like the kind of inviting inclusive friendliness we kind of wanted to put out into the gaming world so tell me a little bit, if uh, folks are looking for a better idea of what the storyline is in Battle Cakes, give them a little bit of a rundown. Sure. So uh, the lead character, which can be um, customized and renamed by the player, um, but by default is uh, Birthday Sprinkle. He's the town guard for a sleepy little town called Vanilla Hill, where almost nothing ever goes wrong. And he's a very lazy but happy existence until trouble starts to brew its ugly head. Uh, some creatures make their way into town that are not normally in town. So you team up with your best friend, Red Velvet, who is a more experienced, more competent town guard, kind of your mentor. Uh, so the two of you team up to find out what's going on, like who's causing trouble in town. From there, you meet up with the, the third member of your party, Midnight Truffle, who is a sugarmancer, the magic user of the group. Uh, and things quickly spiral in epic RPG fashion from there. You're going to go from town to town. I think there's like six in total. We'll have dungeons and bosses for each. So it's a big RPG-style, kind of classic but very tongue-in-cheek uh, adventure. Tell me a little bit about the the writing in the game. You said that you brought on a writer who's done some some other credits before, but I imagine you're also involved yourself. Um, yeah, the the writing definitely it started with Matt's voice, um, and then the three of us, Matt, myself, and Jean, have a very similar tone and voice when we write, and so that's been really nice to kind of collaborate on that. And then we brought in Kevin Snow, who is currently working on a game called Southern Monsters. So their main main vibe is definitely more horror, um, not as cute cute as battle cakes but they have a very similar um 
humor and yes cleverness to their writing that just vibes really well with our writing so yeah it's been really nice and exciting to bring on a new voice and help us flush out the world and they're good people so we always that, that's yeah. the first thing like you know we also brought in another programmer Ben Cook of Wellbred Rhino and uh, it all starts with like clicking as people and then like being able to work on the project together from there so we're at Pixel Pop which I imagine Mary you are at least a little interested you are also one of the the main organizers for Pixel Pop and this is my second year as one of the organizers um, the Pixel Pop is five years old. We attended this, I think the first one we attended was the second one with our second game, Sleepy Kraken. It's a very early alpha, very alpha build. Um, and then we enjoyed the experience so much. It was a huge, huge catalyst for us in continuing to make games. We might have stalled out and just never gone forward if we hadn't had what that like wonderful experience. So I believe after yeah the third Pixel Pop, I offered to like come on the organizational team because I wanted to help grow and like spread game development across the Midwest and like let people who don't always make it to the coast to see the bigger shows like have an experience the same kind of experience that they could have. Tell me a little bit about what it's like being here in St. Louis as a game developer, as a community organizer, and working in the game space. Um, I think we're really fortunate that there is a fairly large game development community in St. Louis, um, and it ranges anywhere from hobbyists to professional studios. So we've been really lucky in that, but I think like any creative endeavor kind of in the middle of the country, it can be, it's not as plentiful as when you go to the coast, so that's always a little bit of a struggle is to people don't quite understand what you're doing or what what your job is but it's more sustainable to live here there's really there's a lot of really wonderful things about being in the midwest and we're just really lucky st louis has such a like vibrant games community that can help support the stuff that we're doing i agree <laughs> <laughs> what have been some of your favorite pixel pop moments um i think my favorite moments are watching someone demo their first game and like see the excite, like see the excitement of them getting to watch people play their game and get live feedback and be able to make choices based off watching actual like instead of I think sometimes when you're making games and you're by yourself and you you're making guesses at what you think people want and so being able to help create the experience for people to grow their game and grow what they're doing is really rewarding for me as well as like just giving them connections to, to talk to other developers and like so when they might go to other regional shows like they might know other people and so to kind of spread game dev and not make it such like an isolating experience that it can be at times is my favorite parts and on um and on the developer side a being able to meet all the other game devs is super encouraging you can talk about like mutual struggles and encourage each other and pick up tips and tricks and just meet more cool people and of course just the act of demoing it's such an emotional boost, like when you're in the middle of like the game development cycle and you're not entirely sure how long your game's going to take, you know, and you get to see like people who are not your team come to it with fresh eyes and, and they're genuinely excited and they're into it. And you're like, yes, people get it. You know, you got that little boost. This is worthwhile and we should keep going. And it helps a lot. It's tremendous. So, I mean, thank you so much for the time. It's been awesome talking with you. For folks who are looking for more information about Battle Cakes, where would they find that? Or about Volcano Bean? Just volcanobean.com is the best place to links out to our Battle Cakes demo. We have an itch.io page that we have our public demo up on. So you can, as we update the game, we update the demo. So you can kind of always keep tabs on where we are game-wise. But yeah, volcanobean.com. And you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all that jazz. And for folks who are looking for more information about Pixel Pop or for either of you, where would they find it? Yeah, um, I am Mary McKelly on Twitter, but you can also, and Pixel Pop is pixelpopfestival.com or Pixel Pop Fest on Twitter. Just look, uh, volcanobean.com is the best way to get a hold of me too. <laughs>
cool. Well, thank you so much for your time. Congrats on an awesome show. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Even though I've personally moved to the West Coast, I still very much believe that the Midwest can be a center for games and game developers to grow. Events like Pixel Pop help to foster that community, and I'm looking forward to seeing all of the exciting things that come as a result.